Well, good morning. It's great to have you here. Um, if you're joining us online, welcome. Uh, my prayer group that Elizabeth mentioned, I was just going to let it go, but it is not this Wednesday, but next Wednesday. You're welcome to come this Wednesday and pray for an hour by yourself if you want. Uh, just sort of practice, but then we'll actually pick it up in two weeks. So uh, we are in week three of our series called Conquering Giants. And, and really throughout this series, what we're doing is we're trying to consider our biggest fears. Our greatest worries, the, the largest anxieties, those things that, that tend to keep us awake at night. In our very first week, we just actually talked about the giant of fear. We talked about how we could overcome that, and Jacob mentioned that last week we tackled the exciting and everybody's favorite topic of finances. Uh, in fact, if you were here last week, those of you that were here when I sent my weekly attendance report to God, um, I made sure I mentioned you. Um, and so he mentioned you all get triple credit for being here last week. It doesn't really help you in life other than, um, yeah, anyway. Yeah, if you missed either of those two messages, uh, you can catch them online or you can go on our website or you use our app and you can catch both of those there. Um, when we think about the, uh, the idea of finance and that, that giant, the, the, the giant that comes right along with that is the giant of our career. It's really easy for us to get stressed out and have anxiety and fear about jobs, about our career, about our work, because ultimately those sort of lead into our future. So I thought it would be good if we begin this process this morning as we're talking about career. I thought we would just look at a study that came out that talked about the 10 most stressful professions and see if any of you happen to be in some of those top 10 Profession. So if I happen to mention a profession that you are in and you happen to be in that, I want you to clap or do a woohoo or, you know, something like that that kind of lets us know that we should feel sorry for you, apparently. Um, okay, so here we go. The top 10 uh, most stressful jobs, the, the top 10 or the t number 10 most stressful job is being a waiter. A waiter. Now, if you live in L.A. or New York, another term for waiter is actor, um, but waiter... <laughs> We don't have probably many of that. Do we have any waiters in the room? No? Okay. Just, like, just think about that. Just when you go out to eat the next time, just recognize how stressful that is. Because we have high demands on the service that we expect when it comes to our food that we're about to pay for. So just remember that. Uh, the ninth most stressful profession is real estate. Any realtors here? Nope. They're all running open houses, right? <laughs> Sunday's the day. Uh, number eight, just customer service or retail. Anybody? Was. <laughs> moved on. <laughs> like, literally, front lines of complaints, right? I mean, that's where we're all, that's pretty stressful. Uh, seventh most stressful job is being a journalist of any sort, like radio or TV or newspaper. Any journalists? Man, we're, we're, we're probably not a stressed out group. This message is not going to matter at all. We can just shut it down. Number six, I don't think we have any of these. The number six most stressful job is being a stockbroker on Wall Street. Nobody's going to work, I don't think, on Wall Street. Uh, if you are, that is a crazy commute. Number five, I think we've got some of these. Number five, the fifth most stressful profession is being in the medical field. Yep. <laughs> Doctors, physician assistants, nurses, that is the fifth most. Uh, the fourth most stressful job, I think we're safe here, I don't think we have any of these, is an air traffic controller, right? Making sure that the planes are not running into each other. Uh, the third most is we go from controlling planes up in the sky to digging underground because the third most stressful is working in a mine. 
<laughs> yeah, I think we're all like, yes, I don't need that one. Uh, the second most stressful job, and we actually have quite a few of these, uh, would be a police officer. Any police officers in here? They're like, I'm undercover, I cannot say. Um, but I do know that we have several police officers that attend here. And the number one most stressful job, according to this study, was any teacher working in the inner city. I read that and I was like, I think just any teacher. Like, I don't even know if you have to qualify it, right? Like, if you have to deal with junior hires every day, you're like, right? Like, whoo. My guess, though, is, is regardless of what your job is, there's stress there. And I, I don't know if you want to know. Do you want to know the least stressful job out there? We actually have an individual that goes to our church that actually has this profession. And I texted them. I was like, hey, this says it's a pretty, you're not a very stressful job. And they're like, yeah, it's pretty easy. Do you want to know? Will you promise not to hate the individual? It's actually a forester. I don't know. Nobody's in the woods to hear it when the tree goes down. I guess that's, that's or not, nobody's doing the job. I don't know. Anyway, um, here's what we know. It, it, all of our jobs, even if they don't make the list, depending on the circumstances within that job, even if they don't make the list, like work has stress. Right? Even if you're just, your job is good, but trying to maintain that job or grow that job or advance that job, whatever it would be, there's stress around it. Like, who knows? Like, will I have a, you know, the next day, will I get laid off? Or whatever. There's stress around it. Now, I want you to be honest. Now, you don't need to raise your hands, especially if you're on staff here at Silver Creek. But um, do you ever feel like in your career you've just sort of hit the ceiling? Like, there's really no way to progress from where you're at. Like, there's no way to move up. It's like, I'm, I'm at the end. That can be a giant in your life if you feel like there's no moving up. Maybe in your job you just get bored. You're just disinterested. It sort of feels like you go to work every day and you put in all this time, but there, there's really no eternal impact. It's not really doing any greater good. You're just, you know, you're punching out widgets or whatever, and you're like, ah. That can be a giant. Maybe, maybe your job is great. You just have a really bad boss. Or maybe you're a boss and you have some really bad employees. Like it's just this sort of toxic environment and people don't treat each other fairly and the, and the work just gets piled on and piled on and, and nobody seems to really be giving credit for the things that you do and the effort that you put in and becomes a real giant. Maybe you tried to start your own business and it's just failing and just feeling like a disaster. Maybe you're in sales you just can't seem to land any of those big deals that will really propel you forward. Maybe recently you just lost your job. Those are all huge giants. Maybe you just feel lost. Maybe you, you headed down a certain path and you were going this way and you thought that this was it. And now you're like, I don't know if I went the right direction. I don't know if I'm doing what I should be doing. If you don't feel like you're doing what you should be doing or you're going down the right direction, that's just another huge giant that we face. Statistics say that about 60% of employed Americans are dissatisfied or unhappy with their current job. 60%? 65% of people are actively looking for a new job. <laughs> That's great. I mean, 35% just aren't looking to quit tomorrow. Right? I mean, 
It's just so many people are unsatisfied or unfulfilled or not loving what they're doing. And maybe they're not going to quit tomorrow. Maybe they're not going to walk away. But a lot of times there's, there's dissatisfaction in our careers. And the reality is that God doesn't really want us to exist in that position. God wants us to find fulfillment in what we do. And I'm not saying that every job is always going to be fun and always jo- every job is always going to feel like, yeah, you know, there's going to be difficult moments. But ultimately, God doesn't desire for you and I to, to live life in a state where we feel defeated. That when it comes to our career, God wants to help us find ways that we can overcome those giants, overcome that giant, and begin to feel like what we're doing really matters and that what we're doing is where God has called us to or is opening up what God has called us to. So this morning, to look at our career, we're going to look at a story out of the Old Testament about a guy named David. And in this particular story, David gets a very significant promotion. Now, before we read the story, I just need to sort of set up the scene so we all know what's going on. Uh, There's a gentleman by the name of Samuel, and Samuel is a prophet. He's the prophet for Israel, and so basically as the prophet of Israel, what that means is that when God wants to communicate to the people, he says it to Samuel, and then Samuel goes and he communicates with the nation of Israel. He's the conduit to how God communicates. So that's what the prophet does. The prophet also has the responsibility of anointing the next king. So God would say, this is the guy, this is the one, and then Samuel or whoever the, the prophet would, would anoint the king. It's sort of like knighting, but a lot slippery, more slippery. It's got oil, so they would anoint the next king. Sorry, nobody got that. I guess it wasn't even, maybe it just wasn't good. Anyway, um, so Saul is now at this point where he's got to go anoint the new king. Saul had been the king for a while. Saul had been the king up until this point. It was actually the very first king of Israel. And at the very start of the process, Saul was pretty good. Saul was a really decent king. He was, he was following what God wanted him to do. He was doing what he was supposed to do. And then all of a sudden, Saul started to kind of get some of his own ideas, and he started to stray on a new path. And God decided, you know what? I'm done with that. Saul, you did it your own way, and now we need to remove you, and we're going to establish a new king, because this isn't really going the way I wanted it to go. And so God sent Samuel to Bethlehem to anoint the new king, to find the new king. And so God sends Samuel, and he goes to the house of a, na- of a guy by the name of Jesse. And Jesse has a whole bunch of sons, and, and the idea is that one of the sons of Jesse is going to be the new king. And so Samuel shows up, and he arrives, and basically they start this parade of boys. And each boy enters in, and they look at him, and they kind of evaluate, and starts with the oldest. And when they all walk in, the oldest walks in, and he is just this impressive guy. And he's strong, and he's big, and he's handsome. And it looks like this should be him. And as each, one, each boy walks in, they're all this way. They all just look like, this has got to be it. And with each one, Samuel is thinking... Oh man, this dude's a stud. This has got to be God's choice. It is so obvious. And God's like, no, not him. No. God's like, you keep judging these guys based on their appearance, based on their height. God's like, I'm rejecting each one of them. God's like, "I I don't see people the way you see people. You tend to judge people based on what's on the outside, by what you can visibly see. And God's like, I'm just gonna look at their heart. Basically, just saying, listen, we tried it your way one time already. We did, we did this. We went and we, we let you pick Saul. And Saul was the tallest Israelite. He was the best warrior. 
Saul was strong and he was good looking and and God's like we anointed him king and we thought that that was what you wanted and then it all fell apart so we're not going to do it your way anymore we're going to do it my way God's like I'm not going to look at their outside I'm going to look at their heart and all of these guys that you've brought forward so far they did they just don't match up they, they just fall short so all of the boys come through and each of the sons of Jesse walk by and none of them fit and none of them fit and finally they're like well I guess that's it Jesse's like, that's all my boys. Samuel's like, is there, this is just a weird question. You know, are you sure you don't have any other sons? Like, <laughs> Jesse's like, oh, wait. <laughs> I got one more kid. He's out in the field. He's watching some sheep. He's taking care of the goats. And Samuel's like, duh, maybe we should get him. Like, if these other guys haven't passed, maybe we should go get the son that's not here pause there for just a second and try and get your mind around this this other son is thought of so lowly like the family the way they position or think about david he's so insignificant he's so little they don't even there's not even a possibility in their mind that this that he could possibly be a, a king they don't even think about bringing him in to meet samuel like how could he possibly be the next king and Samuel's like, bring him in. Like, it's not working so far. Bring him in. And then that's where we pick up the story in 1 Samuel 16. It's going to be on the screen, and it's in your message notes. It says this. So Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. And the Lord said, this is the one. Anoint him. So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with the oil. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. First thing you and I need to know, if we want to conquer the giant of fears, we need to find a prophet to anoint us with oil. Since that's probably not going to happen, uh, what we're going to do instead is we're going to look at this story and see if in this encounter, if we can find four choices that will help us begin to overcome the giant of fear. Four choices that you and I can begin to make that can begin to transform the way that we approach our jobs. And they're going to take work, and they're going to take some effort, but we can begin to make these choices, and if we'll stick with these choices, it will allow God to begin to, to help us and lead us to establishing a career, finding a job, or establishing the job that we already have in a way that's more rewarding, that's more meaningful. Because there's a really good chance, a bunch of you here, you're already far into your profession, right? You might be so far into it, you're like, it's a little late to change, right? I'm not making any accusations towards age, I'm just guessing that some of us are like, yeah, this is, this is what I'm doing. So even if you're down the road a little bit and you're probably not going to change your career, these choices can actually help transform the current career that we're in simply by changing the way that we look at it. Simply by beginning to, to look at it differently and begin to live out life differently in the place that we find ourselves today. And here's the first choice. The first choice that will help us overcome the giant, the career giant is this, is just to pursue a heart of integrity. God wants to use each and every one of us. God has a plan for your life. God has a vision for your career and what it can be. And he's got the very best plan for you. But what we have to understand is God is not going to use us or God will be limited as to how much he can use us if we lack integrity. For these guys, God's not even going to use them because their heart lacked integrity. 
God chooses people whose hearts are right. I mean, again, look at each of David's brothers. It wasn't because they didn't have the physical skills. God's like, I've looked at their hearts. There's something is lacking. And what they're lacking is that they're lacking a heart of integrity. And so God's like, instead of making the obvious choice, I choose David. God's like, I just flat out, I'm not, no, those guys don't work. I'm not going to use any of these older brothers. They're impressive to the eye test. They've just failed the heart test. And if you and I want to discover the perfect fit to our career, if you and I really want to find the profession that really begins to start a pursuit of, of what God wants to do, it, it begins with a heart of integrity. In the New Testament, it actually explains why God said, I'm done with Saul, and I'm ready to move on. I'm ready to find a, a new king. In, in Acts, it actually says this. It said, but God removed Saul and replaced him with David. A man about whom God said, I have, found, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. We can just assume that if David's going to do everything God wants him to do, if he's a man after God's own heart, then the same was not true of Saul anymore. David was a man who was described as a man after God's own heart, which basically means he had a passion for the things of God. Which means he wanted to please God with his life. Meaning he wanted to desperately do anything that he could possibly do in a way that God would want him to do it. Now if you're familiar with the Bible, you know that David wasn't perfect. You know that there's some stories that prove that he, he messed up and yet God still says he is a man after my own heart. Which means at the core of who David was... At the core of his heart, he was motivated to respond, to act to situations, to make decisions in a way that were similar to the heart of God. It's a choice to pursue a heart of integrity. It's not pursuing or being perfect. It's a choice to say, I'm going to pursue a heart of integrity. We may not always get it right. We may mess up from time to time. And when we mess up and we don't get it right, a heart of integrity says, okay, I'm just going to pick myself back up. I'm going to say, God, I messed up. I missed it. I'm going to dust off my knees and I'm going to get back to it. And so what that means when it comes to our job, it means that we're going to start thinking about how do I please God more than how do I please my boss? It means when we go to work, we think, what can I do that will have an impact what actions can I take that will have an impact on those that are around me, my coworkers? It is a decision to make sure that we're not treating people unfairly just so that we can get ahead. It means we're going to decide to do the right thing, even if it isn't in our own best interest. It means we're going to choose to be honest and fair. It means the people that are in our workplace, they're going to understand or begin to recognize that we're a Christian because of the way that we're living, even before we start talking about it. And when we do start talking about it, they'll be like, okay, now that makes sense. And living in a way that's loving and serving. Living in such a way that those people around us will begin to be drawn towards God and begin to have an idea of like, I, I don't know what it is about you, but whatever it is, I think I want to have an idea of what that would be in my life. So the task is do what you do well. Become the best at what it is that you're doing, but don't lose your soul in the process. Don't lose your integrity in the process of advancing your career. If you desire for God to bless your career and what it is that you're doing, you have to figure out how to become in the center of His plan. And the number one way to do that 
is to choose to have a heart and pursue a heart of integrity. To be a person that's honest in the things that we do and in the things that we say. So that's number one, is to pursue a heart of integrity. And then the second one, if we're going to pursue or if we're going to overcome this giant, is to begin to trust God with your calling. The word calling is kind of weird. Sometimes we like throw it around in church. and we Calling is basically, what has God created you to do? And when we begin to look at what has God created you to do, we have to trust God's calling in our life. Trust the purpose He has created you for. Trust the life work that He's led you to. He's created you for it. And sometimes we struggle to pursue what He's called us to because it doesn't always line up with our own ideas about what our career could be or about what our future could look like or how it's going to play out. God has His own ideas. God has His own plans for your future, for your career. Sometimes we just can't even imagine what it is that God would want us to do. Sometimes we're at a point where we're like, I, I can't even imagine that God is calling to me this. How does that even work? I mean, just think about David. He's sitting there watching sheep. Just counting sheep. I'm guessing that's all, he, you know, one sheep, two sheep, three sheep, four sheep. You know what I want to do? Five sheep. I think I'm going to go into politics. Seven sheep, eight. You know what I think I'd really enjoy doing? Nine sheep, ten. Oh, where'd I go? Through one, two. I think I want to lead the nation of Israel. Do you think there was any point where David was sitting there counting sheep and then all of a sudden he just broke out with, Oh, I just can't wait to be king. <laughs> never! Never! That wasn't even a little bit of an idea in his head. And then one day Samuel shows up and he's like, So, um, you're going to be king. Say that again? You're going to be king. Which really is not only surprising, it actually just put a great big bullseye on David. Because there's already a king. And the best way for Saul to stay king is to kill the guy that's going to take his job. So there's no way David has any idea how this is going to work out. He has to trust God's calling in his life. Listen to how this is described in the letter to the early church. It says this in Ephesians. It says, For we are God's masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. There's two eternal truths out of this verse and out of the story of David. And the first one is this, is that God sees what we can't see. God has created you to be a masterpiece, and oftentimes you and I can't even see that in ourselves. God sees things in you that you don't even see, and God sees things in other people that you and I don't even see. And so often, we don't see in ourselves what God sees in ourselves. If you know my story at all, there was no point in my life where I was just sitting there and all of a sudden, you know what? I think I want to be a pastor. Not in the plan. Never once. Never once. I mean, I grew up in church, and I went to all the camps, and I went, there was never once where I was like, that's it. I was trying to do other stuff. I was going to be a hospital administrator, by the way. What does that even mean? I don't even know. Clearly not of God. Um, for me. But somewhere around 20 years old, God's like, so maybe you should go into youth ministry. Like, what was that? Where did that come from? 
And so I was actually in Ukraine one year, and I was, I was on a mission trip, and I started to feel like God was saying you should go into youth ministry, and I had all the reasons why it wouldn't work and all the reasons that I, like, I want to make money and that kind of stuff. And, and so I told the group that I was with, I was like, hey, there's this weird thing that God's saying in my head. If you would just pray that I would have a clarity on it. And I didn't tell anybody what, what was going on. I just said, would you just pray for me? A couple days later, we had to wash all of our clothes by hand, and so I'm washing my clothes by hand, and I'm sitting there, and there's this girl sitting across from me, and she's listening to her headphones, and she's washing her clothes, and we're just sitting there, and, and all of a sudden, she gets my attention. She's like, hey, Brent, Brent? I was like, yeah, what's up? She's like, God just wants me to ask you a question. Okay. She's like, God just wants to know why you're afraid to be a youth pastor. Mind your own business and wash your clothes. <laughs> Wash your clothes, girl. <laughs> God had this plan. I wasn't even looking for it. And then some people start to speak into your life and begin to confirm that this is the right move. You and I often, we don't even see in ourselves what God sees in us. So we have to trust the calling. The second truth about this passage is we typically become happiest and most fulfilled, or we do become happiest and most fulfilled when we're in the center of God's plan for our life. No matter how different it is from what we planned. Even when it's completely different than what we envisioned, when we're in where God created us to be, where we're in that position of the task that he's called us to, we'll find the most fulfillment in life. So let's create a definition for what a calling means. My calling, your calling, is my gifts and my passions intersecting with God's purpose. So your calling is where your gifts and your passions are intersecting with God's purpose. So the first thing we do is we begin to ask God, hey, what am I good at? Hey, God, what, what gifts have you given me? What, where am I talented? What can I do? So we start to see those things, and then we start to say, God, what have you made me passionate about? God, what are the things that when I'm involved in those, my, my heart just sings and it just feels like this is so right. What is that passion? What is it that you can be doing and when you're doing it, like you just lose track of time? What are your gifts? What are your passions? And then thirdly, we start to say, God, how can you use my passions and how can you use my strengths? How can you use those things to begin to make a positive impact in my community and in my world for what you want to do? And there's a chance that your career will line up with your calling. But there's also a great possibility that your career will open up the possibility and opportunity for you to live out your calling. In fact, most of the staff at Silver Creek, that's where they reside. Most of our staff, they're doing full-time careers outside of the church, and then they live within the church to fulfill their calling. Or maybe their spouse has a full-time career that opens up the opportunity for them to live out their calling. So it's possible that your career is your calling. It's possible that your career opens up your calling. It's also possible that your calling is not a ministry job, but creates all sorts of possibilities for you to draw people towards Jesus. Maybe you're just an absolutely amazing accountant. Maybe you're phenomenal in business. Maybe you're just a mad, skilled truck driver. Two great uncles. One of them was called to be a missionary in Mexico. He was down there for over 50 years. I mean, thousands, probably millions of people were impacted by his time as a missionary in Mexico. He was called to it at a very young age. 
His brother, you're going to laugh, his brother felt called to be a dairy farmer. And what he said is, I've, call, I've been called to be a dairy farmer because I can't be a missionary. I don't have what it takes to stand up in front of people. I don't have what it takes to learn a foreign language. I don't have what it takes to organize all of that. But what I do have and what God has called me to do is be the most amazing dairy farmer I can possibly be and collect dollars so I can support my brother who's a missionary. So you have to trust your calling that God has in your life. The third one is this, is to do what is in front of you today and to do it well. We have to understand that, that no job will ever be perfect. Work will oftentimes be difficult. Work may not always be completely fun. That's why they pay you. Right? They pay you to do the things you wouldn't do for free. Right? I, I was like, I wouldn't do this job for free, so you better pay me to show up. That's why we call it work, not play. But there are times where I've talked with people and they're like, yeah, I passed up on an opportunity. God was putting it in front of me and I just said, no, it didn't fit my passion. It's not what I want to do the rest of my life, so I currently am I'm unemployed. Hey, uh, maybe God rolled that in front of you because he wanted you to pursue that, to open up the opportunity to fulfill the passion that's inside of you. So the question is, what opportunity has God put in front of you today? Because maybe your job is not your ideal job. Maybe it's not your dream job. Maybe you got a new job and it isn't everything you hoped for. Maybe it doesn't pay as well as you thought. Or maybe it's not something that's like right inside of your passion. But maybe that job was truly a gift from God. To open up what is available to you beyond that. And what's so important is that you and I take the opportunities that God puts right in front of us and not only take those opportunities that God puts right in front of us, but then we take them and we do them really well. David wasn't doing anything that was close to kingly when he was told he was going to be king. He's babysitting livestock. He's just counting sheep. There's, there's nothing romantic or high level about this job. There's a reason the youngest brother was doing it is because no one else wanted the job. They're all like, that's beneath me, that's below me. So David's out in the field watching the goats and the sheep. Maybe that was the problem with the brothers. And why God's like, okay, I don't need them. Because he looked at their heart, and their heart problem was they're like, eh. So God's like, well, you can't even be faithful with small things. They're just waiting for the big opportunity. God's like, no, 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 no. You, you're just phoning it in. You're just phoning it in, and, and that's not going to work. And I'm sure most of us have never phoned it in and not given 100%. This is actually the last point. We're not even getting to the last one. I just gave up on it. No, I'm kidding. Jesus tells this incredible story in the book of Matthew about this parable where, where this boss is about to go on a trip and he comes up to a couple workers. He's like, hey, I got some stuff for you guys to do while I'm gone. Uh, just a little bit here, five for you, three for here, one for you. You guys go for it. And the, the tasks are not all that glamorous. I mean, just some small amounts, a little bit of money, a little bit of task if you guys could do this thing. And there's a really good chance each of them are like, well, this is kind of beneath me. This isn't all, this is kind of mean. You know, I have these tasks. And one of the guys is like, I'm not going to do anything with it. And the boss gets back, and he's just furious. And the other two guys are like, well, okay, I guess I'll do what I can with what I got. 
And they did the best that they could, and it worked out well. And this is how it played out. What verse am I on here? Matthew. Uh, it says, His master replied, Good job. You are a good and faithful servant. You proved that you could be trusted with a small amount. I will put you in charge of a large amount. Come and share your master's happiness. God's economy is this. When we are faithful with a little at first, then he blesses us with more. Which means when you get a little bit, you can't just sort of shrug it off. Eh, that's not very important. We have to be faithful with a little if he's going to bless us with more. If we want to be promoted, if we want to find that dream job, we have to, if we're asking God to bless us and all this, which is all fine, what we have to understand is God's not necessarily going to bless us with something bigger and better if we're just punching the clock and not giving our best, if we're not being faithful with the little that we've been given. God's not going to say, hey, here's a whole bunch more responsibility and a lot more opportunity. You're not doing anything with what you got right now. Until we start doing with what's right in front of us and doing it well, God's not likely going to give us more. And then the last thing, the last choice that we can make is just to go to work for God every single day. This is a mindset that will transform any job, any career, no matter how much you're making per hour or the title that you're given or whether your office has a window or if you have an office. I don't have an office, but whatever. Not bitter. This is what it says. This is what it says in Colossians. It says, In all the work you are doing, work the best you can. Work as if you were doing it for the Lord, not for people. I know that some of you are in a tough work situation. Some of you are dealing with a boss that doesn't treat you fairly. Hard to show up every day. You feel underappreciated and overloaded, and you're, and you're doing your best, and it's just like, ugh, and it's just this giant that you face every single day. And the real danger is when we, when we stay in that and we're like, oh, my job is miserable, we just start to feel sorry for ourselves. And as we start to feel sorry for ourselves, we begin to be resentful, and then we begin to get bitter. And as a result, as we just like, oh, I'm not going to give my best. I'll just show up. We end up stepping outside of God's blessing. And even if we're in a toxic environment, and I'm, and I'm sorry that you're there, and I'm not saying that's right, but, but when we begin to choose to change who we're going to work for, it transforms any situation. I mean, if you have to complete an expense report because the accounting department will be happy, you're like, well, that's a pain. Why are they always on my back about getting in my expense report? Just change the process. Just decide, you know what, I'm going to complete this expense report and I'm going to do it like I'm serving and representing God and suddenly that expense report takes on a whole new meaning. Maybe you have a job shoveling horse manure and it's, it pays minimum wage. And that stinks. Sorry. But if you can shovel that manure... And do your very best in a way to honor God. Suddenly you redeem and transform a task that's just manure. Now it's completely different. And if your career is devastating or, or it's miserable, even if it's there, if you will just begin to change our mindset and begin to change our heart, it will improve our outlook on everything that we're a part of. And it doesn't even require that anything in our situation changes. Just everything begins to transition when we begin to look at it in new ways. We begin to trust our calling and pursue a heart of integrity, do what's right in front of us, and ultimately go to work each day pleasing God and no one else.
And every week we put in your connect or in your programs these connect cards and just challenge you to think through what is it that you need to do based on what it is that you've heard this morning. To really ask yourself, what is God calling you to do? So maybe your next step this morning is to recognize the value of a heart of integrity. Maybe your next step is to commit to working well at what's right in front of you. Maybe your next step is to see that each and every day is a chance to go to work for God. Maybe there's something else that God this morning just began to impress on your heart that you know that you need to do. Just a minute, the band's going to come and play one last song, and I would just encourage you to respond to whatever it is that God is saying to you. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this example of David. Thank you for his willingness to, to demonstrate to us how we can approach this idea of career and, and job and future. God, help us to lean into you as we face this giant of our career. Help us to trust you. Help us to follow what you've laid out and begin to see you transform each and every day as we begin to go to work with a whole new idea and a whole new mindset. Thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' name.